Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Now, um, those of you that have listened to this podcast a lot will know that um, in the in the last oh. couple of years, I've had the pleasure of Otto English, um, also known as uh, the journalist Andrew Scott, who um, wrote Fake History. Um, we tore a strip off Boris Johnson um, when in that, that dark time he was running the country, we were kind of some... Still unbelievable words that trip off the tongue. Um, <laughs> you know, the, 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 in that parallel dimension that we were in for a bit there where someone like Boris Johnson could be running things. Um, yeah. Um, and now Otto has uh, written a follow-up book, Fake Heroes, which is um, look, looking at these really 20th century figures that people idolise and looking at the reality some critical approaches to people that we we put on pedestals. So firstly, welcome, Otto. Thank you so much for coming well, back. Thanks very much for having me on, Nick. And so let's just talk about the, the, this idea of, of, of the hero in history. And um, from your writing, I mean, where what how has that informed your, your kind of sense of, of, you know, how and why we idolise people and, and, and kind of the, the realities of all of that? Well, this book, in part, I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a, it's not really a sequel, but it's a, it's similar in some ways to what I did with the first book. The first book was more about taking events, but there were some people in it uh, mm-hmm. taking events and then saying what really happened and what our sort of general perception of it was. Um, whilst I, once the first book came out, I was still doing quite a I was a journalist and I was writing quite a lot for Politico. And Politico wrote a series of obituaries. Okay. Uh, and I wrote I wrote one for the Queen, 
Uh, and I read that uh, obviously obituaries, I'm sure your listeners know, get written in advance. Mm. But um, Politico already had a, a ready to go obituary for the Queen, but they wanted a bit of a sort of more honest take, if you like. So they asked me to um, to write a kind of, well, I said, I'll write an obituary of Mrs. Windsor. So not of not of Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth II, but I will write an obituary of Mrs. Windsor, and it was the single and you know I, I was as I was just saying to you before we started, I don't I always get annoyed when people who've got a luxury job like mine sort of moan about it. However, it was one of the hardest things I've ever written in my life because. Um, I wanted to do her justice. I didn't want to be just some Republican taking down the Queen on the day of her death. Mm. I wanted to get to who the real human being was. And in the case of the Queen, it was an incredibly tough gig mm. because almost all, all the biographies about her, almost all of the features, articles, whatever, are, I'm going I'm to use the word fawning, fawning, tripping over themselves to please the institutional monarchy and the Queen. So burrowing down into that detail and finding out what kind of person she was really like beneath the crown, but behind the curtain, if you like, was really tough. And I was at the same time as writing those, I was coming up with an idea for a second book. And I think very much the obituary of Prince Philip and the Queen informed the book because right. I wanted to sort of blast away the iconography and burrow down into who the human beings were. Yeah. That's um, my origin story. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> um, and I think, I mean, obviously, it, it, perhaps it's partly innate in, in people to, to create sort of heroic figures. Um, and heroic figures in history um, are often the kind of a shorthand to things we think and believe and feel. Um, you know, we, Winston Churchill is the, the kind of the, the, the classic uh, one you could draw out, a man with kind of multiple feet of clay who made terrible blunders and mistakes during the war and yet seems to sort of exemplify or symbolise some kind of sense of Britain and nationhood and all that kind, kind of stuff. So people have, have these sorts of heroes. Um, but when you looked, I mean, you, 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 you was it about eight or nine people you look at in the book? Uh, it's ten, actually. Ten. But there are lots of, there's lots of other sort of incidental people. So, uh, for example, I put Jimmy Savile in the Mother Teresa chapter, Ooh. which uh, almost gave my publisher a heart attack. Uh, but, but hey, you've got to do these things uh, because I wanted in exploring how celebrity and how uh, religion can become a kind of cover for mm. um, bad behaviour, mm. uh, whether deliberate or in the case of Jimmy Savile, egregious crimes on an almost unimaginable scale, or in the case of Mother Teresa, not being not doing what we perceived that she was doing. Um, there was some commonality between those two stories. Um, so I put those in. So there's 10 sort of big figures, you know, uh, uh, and then there are 
various other stories which have some sort of similarity which go alongside them. And the one I was drawn to, and I'm so glad we got, we're going to get to talk about him, was the figure of Che Guevara. Now, as, as a sort of you know, average lefty, yeah. um, listeners might, uh, might uh, uh, assume, they might be surprised that I mean, I'm particularly interested in mm. kind of critical approaches to Che Guevara. But I, I, I remember something that Eric Hobsbawm once said um, a long time ago, um, that he said, well, revolutions aren't done by nice people, you know revolutions are ugly dirty you know sometimes necessary yeah but, but pretty pretty vile nasty things um and and i think that there's there is this sort of discord between that 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 truth which i think is pretty universal and the fact that in the mid you know che Guevara on posters and t-shirts is this sort of this kind of pinup for the world and i, I just think that there are perhaps things to be explored there. But anyway, o- over to you on, on the, the story of, of, of Che Guevara, fake hero. Nailed it, really. I mean, the, the iconography of Che Guevara is absolutely critical to his myth, as it is with all the most recognisable heroes. We don't really think about Churchill as having a load of iconography associated with him, but of course he did. Churchill was very good at posing with submachine guns, wearing his um, bow tie. Um, and Guevara too became a product really of that one image, that sort of Christ-like photograph, which was altered in, uh, in the aftermath of his death in 1967 to send his eyes skyward, almost like um, Heracles or Jesus, Um, you know, as a deific figure. It is an extremely powerful and potent Guevara. And I used to to trot the sign out myself. Would Che Guevara have been so famous if he hadn't been so good looking? Mm. Um, Actually, having written the chapter, uh, I mean, it's a tricky one. But I think probably, yes, because um, if we reel back as to who Che Guevara was, uh, Ernesto Guevara Lynch, the son of Guevara Lynch, um, from a quite middle-class family in Argentina, uh, born uh, in 1928, within just a few weeks of somebody else who featured in the book, Andy Warhol. Uh, It's the same age as Andy Warhol. Um, And this sort of young guy who had quite a privileged upbringing. Uh, his parents never had any money, but, but he had a pr- fairly privileged upbringing uh, and, and loved playing sport, loved playing rugby, um, liked girls to varying degrees uh, of uh, success and uh, some unfortunate stories around that as well. Um, and then, um, which anybody who has even a passing interest in his story knows, took off on these two massive journeys around South America um, in the mid-50s, which became the subject for his famous motorcycle diaries. Now, that Guevara um, is a very sort of um, attractive character. 
Uh, I, I say this in the book. It's almost like um, it, you, it's it's a sort of road to Damascus moment where this young man who's who's been otherwise not hugely engaged with politics uh, suddenly sees how privileged he is and sees the uh, the tragedy really that has played out across the post the uh, post war South America and the involvement of big American corporations and the American government. Um, and he gets politicised uh, by it, by the experience, by his travels. But he doesn't just get politicised, as I'm sure you and I have been in our lives, or gone out on a demonstration. The guy gets actively involved in revolutionary politics in Guatemala uh, and meets the Castro brothers. And... Um, and becomes hugely politicised by it all and decides he's going to do something about it and he's going to change the world. And what is extraordinary is he really does do something. I mean, what Cast the Castro brothers and um, Guevara and their very small group band, a initial band of uh, guerrillas did in seeking to overthrow the Batista regime in Cuba in the 1950s is a thing of jaw-dropping audacity. You know, they turn up in Cuba. It all goes horribly wrong. They head for the hills. They they build up this guerrilla movement and they bring down this corrupt, terrible government. But along that journey, as I say in the book, the uh, the kind of St. George figure who sets out to slay the monster becomes the very monster that he has set out to slay. Mm -hmm. uh, and chief among those are the people who he has picked as his heroes. So Guevara has picked Stalin as his hero. Right. Now, maybe in 1930s communist circles, having Stalin as a hero was not the end of the world. And maybe, you know, during the Second World War, if you bought all the propaganda, you might have gone along with it. But by the time Guevara is lauding Joseph Stalin as his great political hero, Khrushchev has come to power and condemned yeah. everything that Stalin did. Hmm. Um, it's the most... Uh, but uh, but Guevara doubles down in his support, like a conservative MP ignoring some fact checking on Twitter. He yeah. kind of he he calls him Daddy Joseph and and Uncle. You know, he doesn't even call him Uncle Joe. He calls him Daddy Joe. He sounds like one of those sort of ghastly libertarian figures, like Milo Yiannopoulos a few years ago. He used to call Trump Daddy. Um, he hero worships Guevara. Uh, sorry, hero worships Stalin. And in addition, hero worships Peron. You know, that... <laughs> how does that work? I mean, how does... Exactly, exactly. It's sort how of does that work? Kind of, kind of cor corrupt. Now, I mean, Peron would be an, among very good company these days with the sort of the Putins and the Netanyahus, the Odis and these sort of corrupt nationalist figures that we see right now. That's a that's a brain teaser, isn't yeah. it? Yes, it is a bit of a brain teaser. So the reason, I mean, he he was. So I said earlier on in his life he wasn't very political. The one person he liked in his teenage years was Peron. Hmm. 
So uh, when, when Argentina has, uh, had a military junta at the end of the Second World War, Perón was part of it. And, um, and Guevara liked the cut of his jib. You know, he was a stylish guy. He was a populist. He spoke directly to the people. He addressed unions. He addressed people's problems. He was, uh, I mean, Perón, to, in my mind, was a bit of a, was a fascist. Uh, and Perón himself had been politicized by a sort of year-long sojourn in Benito Mussolini's Italy, where he had sort of, where he got a lot of his ideas from. So he was a sort of Mussolini-style fascist, although he was never, he, he, was ne he never declared himself to be a fascist, partly because I think that was probably a bit of a bad look in the 1950s to sort yeah. of go around saying, I'm a fascist, but, you know, to all intents and purposes, he was a bit of a fascist. And Guevara was, 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 was kind of obsessed with him. And incredibly, even after he meets up with Perón, it was shortly before a meet, even though Perón had now been, you know, gone into exile, essentially. Um, it's astonishing that these dual figures that I think most of us who take any interest in politics would regard as proper baddies in the narrative Stalin and, I mean, you might find somebody on the very fringe left willing to defend Joseph Stalin, but I, I think you'd have to look pretty hard. This is a shocker. Um, Guevara got corrupted, but more than anything, and it's the same flaw that I come across time and time again when writing the book, he began to buy his own publicity he right. believed revolutionary who could change the world single-handedly and he didn't i mean everything he touched after the cuban revolution turned to a great big handful of dung really i mean he almost single-handedly wrecked the cuban economy um I, I mean you can't blame him entirely but he certainly contributed to the downfall of the cuban economy and he he uh, another strange fact of the Cuban Revolution that many people forget is that initially a lot of countries kind of embraced it, including mm. the United States. The United States were kind of willing, as long as Cuba remained a client state to all intents and purposes, to kind of go along with it. Um, and so there is, again, something admirable about the Cuban leaders sticking a middle finger up at America. Uh, on the other hand, in doing so, so overtly and quickly, they created a massive problem for the people of Cuba. Because America really said, well, you know, we, as long as there's business as usual, that tobacco companies and fruit companies and sugar companies get to work your peasants into the ground and gangsters get to yeah. brothels in Havana. Well, who cares? <laughs> the last guy was a bit of an embarrassment. You guys can be good, you know, good little managers of the, of the system. And then essentially Eisenhower... Uh, hears that they're going to give land to the peasants and thinks, oh, that's that's communism. And it's well, it's, it's not, not really. Yes, these are these are national liberation figures who are looking to kind of right sort of sort of historic wrongs. Um, but yeah, there's I mean, a, again, there's something quite admirable in that early stage. And again, as I just said, there's something slightly admirable about sticking your finger, middle finger up to America. But it would have been nice if they'd been in a slightly stronger position when they did it. Well, yeah. uh, and they blew uh, what was left in, in Havana's coffers 
in a remarkably short space of time, which is just mismanagement. You know, you uh, and we see this time and time again with revolutionaries. They get into power. Uh, they might try and do what they've sort of said they'll do, but you've got to have some kind of realism to the scenario. If you've got no money coming in, yeah. if you cancel all taxes, and if, if you've got no revenue, you can't sustain your school building program and all this kind of stuff. I, I went to Cuba 20 years ago uh, when Fidel was still in power, uh, and I haven't been back since, but the... Um, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I mean, a lot of what you hear about Cuba is true. It's a beautiful country. The people are very well educated. You meet sort of... You meet taxi drivers who've got PhDs, which, you know, is a, probably a situation in the UK nowadays as well. But you, but you meet, you, you do meet extraordinary people, whatever. but there was this sort of sense that they were permanently in limbo. And um, as I say in the book, you know, revolutions for the people should be for the people. If, if a small cabal is being propped up, and they're getting to, uh, and and the vast majority of the people are not really benefiting from the fruits of the revolution. Um, you failed, and uh, Guevara certainly did that. Uh, I mean, even Castro couldn't handle him. That's why, really, why he went to Africa. Hmm. Yeah. The, I mean, there was a thing I was reading about Trotsky a while back. There's a, a, a great, great book um, called Stalin's Nemesis by a historian called Bertrand Patanode, which is all about the, the, the assassination of Trotsky. Uh, but it's about the best thing I've ever read about him. And one of the key takeaways I got from that was that <coughs> Trotsky, li- Trotsky was a revolutionary, not a government minister, not a, mm. uh, a kind of a bureaucrat or anything like that. He liked to write kind of scathing critiques of people and um, espouse his ideas and hope the revolution would spread. And it didn't do. And I wonder with Che Guevara, um, you know, after the Cuban revolution, whether his 
the way he saw himself was just not as a, a government minister, but as a revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, you've just described in Trotsky, Che Guevara almost perfectly. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't interested in the day-to-day -day business. He was interested in taking revenge on the people who, who had helped Batista and, and oversaw this sort of carnival of kangaroo courts and um, executions which followed in the immediate wake of the revolution, uh, mm -hmm. which shocked everybody. Uh, there's this peculiar moment just after the revolution when his parents, who had a bit of a, well, to put it lightly, a troubled relationship, I mean, they were, to all intents and purposes, divorced, um, they and a group of his old friends from when he'd been in Argentina came to visit on a sort of weird revolutionary jamboree, you know. To kind of, uh, the atmosphere I got from reading around it was almost like people turning up to somebody's graduation ceremony. That's what it felt like. It's really peculiar moment um of joy they haven't seen him for three or four years and they all turn up and embrace Guevara and his dad who he had a bit of a problematic relationship hangs out with him for a bit and then it's the immediate joy of being reunited is followed by this sort of terrible sense of what is our boy doing right you know uh like this crushing disappointment that he's not the he's not the Ernestito from back home, and he's he's executing people, and um, it's all gone to his head. Um, and and I do think you know from your friends and your immediate family, you can read somebody, and, and that's that to me. Maybe it's because my background is in theatre and, and things like that. But that, to me, is the big open door on what Che Guevara became. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, there's, it's a very telling episode in his life. And, um, yeah, as you say, he he was put in charge of the banks uh, and just took the piss, really. You know, he wrote Che on the banknotes, mm. you know, and, and the bankers, you know, which might have been quite a lark, but that's his nickname. It's like me being made the governor of the Bank of England. And right, no, God forbid that would ever happen because I scraped a C and O level uh, maths. But, <laughs> but it's like that. It's like me being made the head of Bank of England, not really understanding fiscal policy and writing Otto, which isn't my real name, on the banknotes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a sort of a very uh, reckless thing to do if you're trying to make yourselves look like serious people. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, and I, su I suppose if, you, if, your, uh, if your politics are the, the kind of, uh, the, 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 not just the revolution, revolutionary overthrow of the regime, but as, as Che and Fidel move further to the left after the revolution, the, the, the overthrow of the capitalist system, well, one of the things that um, Marx said about um, where the re where revolutions should begin, he said, well, Germany, because Germany's got mm. stuff. It's got the infrastructure. It's got the yeah. industry. Don't do it in Russia, for heaven forbid. Yeah. And after 1917, people like Lenin and Trotsky said, well, we are where we are. We, it hasn't yeah. happened in Russia. It didn't happen in Germany. We've got all these peasants. What are we going to do? And everything, all the other awfulness kind of stems from, from that, that thing. If you're in Cuba... You know, which is uh, a, a small 
peasant country, you 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 can't you haven't got enough of enough development enough industry enough infrastructure enough education enough of anything to actually reject capitalism in that way even if you really really mm. want to and so um i think you can you can write on the banknotes and you can destabilize the the, the banking system all all you like but you won't overthrow capitalism all you'll do is place yourself in a a weaker position within a very hostile world capitalist system. I mean, you might be able to get to some sort of social democracy, possibly. Um, but I, I think you know that it's it's that that kind of approach that that's in, incompatible with with the historical realities that you land in. Basically, bit of a speech there. But. Yes. Didn't Marx say um, the same? Th did he write in his diary? Or I'm not sure if he kept a diary. Wrote in his letters. He thought the Hyde Park riots was that eighteen seventy-seven. That was, that was before the reform. These um, eighteen sixty-seven reform act, wasn't it? it? Was the Hyde Park riots? That's right, eighteen sixty-seven. So I, I'm pretty sure Marx wrote excitedly in his diary or somewhere that the revolution had started, but it was yes. a riot in Hyde Park. Uh, so because he also believed that Britain was kind of ripe for for revolution, didn't he? And he was, yeah, and I mean, this is the this is one of the problems with Marxism, as you say, it became, it got put into action in countries that couldn't really afford it, yeah. to all intents and purposes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, the weird thing about Batista is Batista is a sort of good guy who goes bad as well, which a lot mm -hmm. of people forget. You know, early Batista is a slightly, is a kind of admirable figure. Um, but he went and lived in America, came back in the pockets of the uh, American mafia, basically, and and went fully corrupt. So mm. it, it had happened. His, as Mark said, all history repeats itself. First time was Treasury Secretary was false. Although I'm not convinced that's true. It can be the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, bit of fast, bit of tragedy. Back, back and forth. Yes. I was just thinking, I, I love it. You talk about early Batista in, in the way that people talk about early Pink Floyd, you know. It was great. <laughs> yeah. right it's the Barrett years. Yeah, yeah. you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, before he went commercial. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, sold out when they made him in. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're drawing to a close here. We've got a couple of minutes left. And I just wanted to hit up on, there were, so there were a couple of other key figures. I, I mean, um, so some great sort of um, myths to pop in the book, isn't it? I noticed yeah. uh, that there's, there's Mother Teresa in there who um, I think more and more is known known about her um, and her, her sort of uh, kind of religious sort of, I don't know what the word is, but it's almost like religious kind of colonialism sort of spreading. Well, well, well so, so the shock... Well, the shocking thing about Mother Teresa was, yes, it's very well put, exactly that, actually. Religious, uh, whatever you just, what did you just say? It was Religious colonialism? Uh, yeah, it was. It was a, She was a bit like a, a late colonial missionary, yeah, uh, bringing, but, but there was another strand to her mission, and one which very few people have discussed, and which I discuss at some length in, the, in my chapter about her in the book, and that is that she'd stopped believing in God. 
Oh, right, that is a problem. That is, uh. <laughs> that's a problem. It's <laughs> a bit of a problem. Now, now, stopped might be too strong a word, but she, from the late 1940s and probably until her death, so that was, she died uh, the day before Princess Diana's funeral in 1997. Hmm. So, so for about 40 or 50 years, she had what is known as the dark night of the soul, which is when very, very religious people in orders, so people who become monks or priests or whatever, uh, start to question what they've done with their life. Um, And we know this from her own letters, um, which she wrote over the course of 20 or 30 years, saying that the only way she could feel Jesus Christ's presence was through extreme suffering, poverty, and pain. So it was almost as if she uh, established her institutions, almost like as a giant uh, satellite dish, to try and recapture the signal of God's love, which she felt she had lost, Um, which is really bizarre and a little bit shocking. Uh, But that's... Mother Teresa, when when you say, when I say when I've been going around promoting the book and talking to audiences, when you say that Mother Teresa kind of stopped believing in God, and where's the effect? A, a very curious hushed silence descends on proceedings. Uh, it's quite unnerving, actually. Yeah, this is great. I mean, and the final thought, I guess, is. And I, this is what I set up this podcast to do years and years ago, is just to recomplicate things. Um, <laughs> take simple narratives of, you know, Che Guevara, who had a fondness for Juan Perón, um, and Mother Teresa, yeah. who lost, essentially lost her faith, uh, or, found, or found faith very difficult, yeah. to say. And I'm taking, yeah. and I think heroes have to be simple. You know, for someone to be a, a, a heroic figure, we have to simplify them whether they're kind of present now or or sometime in the past. You know, as it, I'm just wondering all, all these all these people that are hiding hiding their kind of Russell Brand biographies at the moment and kind of yes. getting rid yeah. of all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's I do true. talk about the curse. I talk about the curse of fake heroes because uh, Dan Wooten has a walk-on part in the book. He's God. gone down. Yeah. <laughs> Russell Brand. Has a, has a walk apart of the book. He's gone down. Uh, or even Philip Schofield, I'm afraid to say, has, has a brief appearance in the book. Uh, and obviously, I'm I'm reading too much into it, but it was quite extraordinary how, um, yeah, how suddenly they all kind of tumbled. And you're right. I mean, there was always some Russell Brand, of course, huge fan of Che Guevara. You know, uh, if you go onto YouTube, you can find him reading his letter, Che Guevara's letter to his children on how to be a good revolutionary, which is one of the most ghastly, uh, wrongly uh, sort of celebrated things in in a large library full of ghastly things in political history, actually. Yeah. Well, there we must finish, folks. Very quickly, if you're going to buy fake heroes, remember... If you can, please prioritise your local independent book retailer that needs your help and needs your custom. Um, and the, the the book is available now in in all in all outlets. Um, and um, all outlets and good bookshops. Yeah. Yes, fantastic. 
Well, absolute pleasure to chat again. And I, I hope we get to do this again in the future um, to, uh, you know, blow away some cobwebs. But uh, thanks so much. And uh, I'll, uh, we'll, I'll finish that. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's been great. You're very Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.